Hello, and welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast for Edgewood Church in Danville, Illinois. This week at Edgewood. So apologies to those who are listening to this recording at this point. We have now just read through 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I am going to pause at this point. We're going to set aside all those distractions. I'm going to open in prayer. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We genuinely thank you for the opportunity to look at your word. We thank you that you are here among us. And even when we look at a a passage like this that raises so many questions, we praise and thank you knowing that we as Christians can look at this passage knowing you with your spirit are at work in us. And you have something for us here this morning. I pray that you'd open our eyes to be able to see and know what that is. Pray that you'd be at work here. Because as my words go out, I don't know where everyone is at, but you do. And I ask that you would work among us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to click ahead to get caught up. And we get to this point. And you you might have even been wondering, okay, What do you mean by identity? Because it really sounds like he's hitting a lot of other topics almost here. But right off the bat, notice where he draws their attention in this chapter 6. In verse 1, he says, When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to the law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? So he is referring to these as believers, as saints. And we're going to go back to the beginning of even the book where he mentions more about saints. But I do have to kind of give you a little bit of background before we go more. There's some couple things that are really helpful for you to understand what's going on here. This would have been civil law, not judicial. Or Basically, the biggest difference there is this would have been the type of lawsuit, a neighbor against a neighbor. This was not something that had been done against the law, and then the court was putting judgment where you might go to prison for that type of thing. And that's important for us as we're laying this out. I do not believe that this passage is asking for anything outrageous or outlandish of saying that the church shouldn't be able to participate in criminal law or that we're trying to set up something separate from that. Because that's not what's being referred to here. But it's also important to realize this type of law that they're talking about here, of civil law in this culture, was actually often used for an individual to kind of get a leg up in society. It was usually used by those who had some measure of power, prestige, to actually you know, step down upon someone else. And this was a way in which they could have additional, like they might then get a different office or things like that. This was one of the ways in which this law was used. So the reason why Paul begins to get so upset about this, you have one believer using this system to get some sort of advantage in the greater society, but he's stepping on one of the other believers to get that advantage. That's why he gets so upset here. That's part of helping you understand this. And when he's talking here, he says, no, that we're talking about believers here. And he reminds him, like in, back in chap- chapter 1 and verse 2, it says this, to the church of God that is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints together with all those who are in every place, called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Just this reminder that we're talking about 
believers, those who should have this in common. But beyond this, as far as this identity of them, it goes into kind of the community of it. Because he says here, or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? This future setting, he's saying. And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? And again, note that when he says trivial cases, this is, again, going back to that same point I was saying. This was not a matter of this was right or wrong in, in the lie of against the law. This was something that was not as significant, not as important. And you're using this when he's saying in the future, as Christians, you would even be used to judge the world. Now, notice here he doesn't give in to go into further explanation because even in chapter, verse 3, he says he allows more to it of, do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? And I'm just not going to go into further speculation because the Bible doesn't lay out what that exactly looks like. Of How in which way am I going to judge angels? But it is saying that as believers, we are going to have a position in this future kingdom. And if we're to play a part in that way, is there not a way in which you can rightly within the body work together when there is a wrong? And then he finishes that same idea of considering what position they already have. He says, so if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? This idea that as among two believers, can't you find some equitable solution? That's what, that's what the point that he keeps driving home here. And that's where, as we look at it, as believers, that dispute should be shaped by the gospel. That's what he's calling their remembrance back to. Remember, this is your identity. As believers, which he had said in the very first verse of saints, and he says here, even among the churches, there's not someone who would be mature, able to offer wisdom or guidance to this matter, which he's saying is a, more of a trivial matter. So that's where they're starting, but, but here's where the problem starts to come, and that they had forgotten. And I seem to have lost the ability to click. There we go. And he says this, I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle dispute among brothers? And this is where he's saying, like, this is not in line with the identity that you ought to have. He goes on and says, brothers, but brother goes to the law against brother, and that before unbelievers... And again, reference to understanding the, this court in which they were going to, it wasn't just about getting what's right for me, but it was also in part of a very common use in this time in which I'm going to gain advantage over that other person. And so he's saying, you're going to step outside the church to get standing for something outside the church among these other unbelievers by stepping on the back of another believer. And we know, and we even just talked about this in the last couple of weeks talking about church discipline, when there is a matter between believers, go to that person at first one-on-one. -on -one, and if not, then invite someone who is mature to it to try and bring judgment, bring equitable solution to it. He's saying there's possibility for this, but they've forgotten. And, and this is when you look here, he says, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong. 
Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Why? And it comes here, and this is when, this almost seems out of place if you're not looking at it, the fact of what he'd been talking about as identity and identity, because everything that's listed here ends up being something that identifies that person. Read it with me then as you follow along. Or do you not know that the unrighteousness, unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, the nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedies, greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. These are all identities. They're identified as by this action. That's what they're known as. But he, what he's, the contrast he's setting up here is, if you are known as a believer, which he's calling attention to as a saint, you shouldn't be known as this. You should be known as the saint. And then it raises that question to us is that here, the problem was they had forgotten their identity. They had forgotten what their position was. And that's where the need, and this is where we're going to spend most of our time here this morning, on recovering that identity. Because that's where he says here, and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. We are often quick to forget even our own thing, our own sins, our own struggles. It, it's easy for us to do that. But it's also easy for us to forget our position in Christ. And that's what got them to this predicament. Because on the surface, when you start reading this passage apart from that, some of that, it almost sounds like, Paul, are you expecting us to have a court and a setup of judges in our church and that we're supposed to you know, hide this somehow? No, that is not at all what he's talking about. But what he is saying, as you as believers have a position in Christ, this position should impact the way you carry on your life. This position should allow you to be able to be gracious to those around you. Because that was what had begun to happen. So here, remember the beauty of the gospel. And by that I mean this. We lapse in our identity. The answer is not to learn a new one, but to remember the one that we have been given in the gospel. We are very quick to forget it. Because in this case, remember what was going on. I'm trying to get what's right for myself, or I'm trying to gain this position at the sake of another believer. Is that what we want within our body? Of being able to be more concerned about what that... Because remember back in verse 7, he had said this, Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? Okay, I, I do have to ask at this point. Have you ever thought, like, just dislike being taken advantage of? I, I confess to this. I, I want it to be right. I want um, I, I, an example where, you know, w would you not rather suffer wrong or not be defrauded? And Well, no, that's just not right. And we almost fight against that thought. Um, an example that comes to my mind is I'm trying to fight back for or against that. In Turkey, it was very, 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 very prevalent to have people on the street begging for money. And it just happens to be that it fits within 
the cultural norm there that individuals who are religious of any amount are expected to give to the poor. And the way that plays out is people with disabilities are there begging on the street. Those who are just in utter destitution are there begging on the street. And my problem was, I kept fighting in the back of my mind of, well, but do they really have need or are they just scamming me? Because I also very much witnessed out my window looking down on the street, this lady who looks to be very poor and has you know, this blanket over what looks like a baby, they're begging for money. And then I was just out of curiosity. I was sitting in the window reading, and then I noticed, though, when nobody else was looking, that she uncovered it was not a baby at all. It was just another piece of cloth wrapped in it. And I'm like, aha! So then, when we come to this, how is it that we fight against that urge within us? How could I be okay with being wronged at that expense? I wonder our attention to this. And this is something that Stephen Hume had said. He said this, suffering wrong and being defrauded are not the ultimate grievance. Because Christ bore the ultimate grievance in our place. He endured the wrong that we ought to have endured. He was defrauded of what was rightfully his in order to give us what we never deserved. The reminder as we look at this type of case where that they had forgot their identity when they were bickering over something minor, it was because of losing sight of this. That was the problem. Because honestly, the problem wasn't the minor dispute. The problem was that you're taking this minor dispute to where it should never be. You're taking this minor dispute beyond what it is. If you couldn't just solve it, it might have been better to simply even accept the wrong. And how could we, and how could that make sense for the sake of a believer? In comparison, what have we been forgiven? In comparison, what have we already that we do not deserve? Would have impacted this here but also grasping the resources of the gospel. And what I mean by this is that we were washed and the filth of sin has been removed. And that's what he's reminding them in verse 11. He says, we are cleansed. We can stop trying to hide our sin and brokenness because it has been objectively dealt with. It's taken care of in Christ. That is the reality. So as much as this individual was seeking to gain some measure of identity or standing in that culture, in that city, by going to the court of law, you have lost sight and forgot that you already have this identity. This is yours. I was reminded this morning when we were going through that uh, video series in Sunday school, talking about living stones. And, and they were drawing that analogy where the, the stone was carved for the specific place in the Athenian temple, which happened to be in Prisenia, I think. I may be mis mispronouncing that. But the, the specific temple. These stones were carved, and each one actually was slightly different, but it was a picture of a believer, where that the believer then would be their own person, in a sense, the chicks, the dents, the divots that had come out of that one, and you are not like anyone else. But yet that picture of that stone, which then is a representation as a part of the temple there, 
you and I, we are the living temple of God. As our identity, it didn't stop then here of just that individual. When they then stepped outside of it, it was in its essence, what did the community look like here? They are supposed to be a community of believers, but yet you can't even solve a, ma a trivial matter, is what he was saying. And you're degrading then Christ by bringing this before the church. The comparison then too is you and I. How do we handle that? Are we then remembering our position or are we forgetting it? How do we go about as we face those struggles, as we are wronged? And I would love to say that churches do it great. The problem is that sometimes churches are more known for gossip, for backbiting, for disputes. I, I don't feel like that's you know, what we're doing here. I'm not pointing fingers that way. But yet, as we honestly consider that, will we remember what we have been given or forget it? Um, and this is what he was saying to them. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. This is what was yours, is yours. And will we then live out the implications of, of the gospel? Will it actually change us? I want to actually read a short little couple of paragraphs here out of this is a book, it is by Stephen Humes. I just didn't put it up because it was starting to get a little, slightly longer. But as we're considering this fact of our identity, he says this, we can absorb the cost when we've been wronged. Remember, because that's what they couldn't do, and that's what we're saying we would do. Because a wrong done against us does not touch our identity. Because our identity is not rooted in that wrong. Unless we fail to believe the gospel. If we have been financially wronged, we need to know that our net worth doesn't define us. If we have been relationally wronged, we need to know that our ultimate relationship is secure. Christ endured every imaginable wrong in order to win for us every imaginable right. Because of this, we can be the ones to absorb, to forgive, to pursue reconciliation, even when it's counterintuitive, even when it doesn't make sense, we can do it. The wrongs that we commit against others become that they freely confess and of which we sorrowfully repent. The extent to which God went in order to save us, the death of Christ, shows us the extent of our sin. If we believe the gospel, then our default position will not be one of being in the right. Instead, we are open to the possibility that we may be wrong. That's sometimes kind of hard to say. Notice he said that we'd be open to the possibility of, that we would be wrong. We will not pursue self-protection and ignoble gain. Instead, we'll admit our weakness and our propensity to drop the ball. And ends up being we're fighting against kind of two natures as we talk about this. Because we realize if we as believers are going to be shaped by the gospel, it means a change from what we were. But we begin and so easily forget that. I want to ask you this morning, as you're considering this, maybe you were thinking, I have nothing to be worried about this legal consequence. But I do want to ask you this. 
in the relationships that you have around you, are you able to forgive and let go those who wronged you? Are you able to then go to them and honestly seek reconciliation versus the other result of maybe I'm going to hold on to the bitterness of it? And I won't tell them. And then the worst part of it is I might even then go and tell three other people and not the person that I'm struck the struggle with. The fact is, many of these are our natural response to it. The idea of going and seeking what's right in court in some ways seems natural to me. I was wronged. I should, be re, you know, I should get the retu, uh, retribution. And I, should, you know, I can see how that's a natural response. I want, I hate, I confessed it already. I, you know, even to giving to the poor, I don't want to be defrauded. And I finally, by the way, had to just give that up. Because I realized, in, especially there, I had no clue what their backstory was of someone begging on the street. And I had to be just willing to say, in God's grace, if that was a need, that I was able to meet it. And there's going to be times in which I didn't know it. And just like that lady who was sitting there covering up the wrap of fabric, thinking it was a baby, maybe there's times when I just don't know. So we bring this more to us, though. Are we able to let it go? Are we able to, in, as I'm seeking to have a relationship with other imperfect people, can I let some of that go in light of this in light of the fact that we are believers, Christians, those who are indwelled by God, those who have this as our identity. Because if it's just on what well, seems right to me, not necessarily. But it is amazing to realize that this is what is ours. That, that position, it's ours. And I was looking to get back to this verse here. I'll leave you on this thought, though. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. As believers here this morning, that is what we can, com- com- that is what we can claim as ours. Because the result otherwise is to forget our position Forget what we have been given. And that has terrible repercussions. But you then can quickly see how I can be just out to get what's right for me. But instead, remember what is ours. And let it impact that I can care for someone else around me. I can reach out in love to them. I can remember.